You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Covenant Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. To learn more about us, visit covbap.org. Now, today's sermon. It is a privilege to be a member of this congregation and have the opportunity to come before us and open up God's Word for us this morning. And I say this, and I know you know this to be true, but we have it really well. Of all people, we are most blessed. It's good when we gather together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and to be refreshed. It's good that we gather together and speak the gospel to one another, even as we've sung to each other this morning. And we know this to be true, but the reality is, is that we often forget. And in our forgetting, we can be led down a path that can have dire consequences. We can find ourselves dissatisfied. And sometimes our dissatisfaction leads us to being discontent. And perhaps if we are not careful in that discontentment, we can even deny what we know to be true. Let me give you a graphic illustration of this. You are aware of what is called anorexia. Anorexia is a distorted self-image. It is an undue concern about body shape. Ultimately, it's about a person who is dissatisfied. You know what I'm talking about. A person looks in the mirror, and though they are emaciated, they deny themselves of the nourishment they so vitally need, and it leads to great sickness and even death. They refuse to believe the evidence that's in front of them. They refuse to listen to the counsel and encouragement from those that love them, and they deny themselves. I understand spiritual anorexia. I have seen the activity of God, and I have witnessed what he has done through his word. I have spent time with many of you here, and I have heard your testimonies, and I have marveled at the kindness of the Lord in your lives as you've talked to me about being delivered from darkness and moved into the kingdom of light. I have read the word of God, and I've been greatly encouraged. I love coming and sitting under God's word. I love coming and being refreshed by the Lord's table, and my soul has been refreshed by the means of grace. And yet there are times when I would disbelieve, and as a result, I would be dissatisfied and discontent. You see, my undue concern for myself would have me think that I deserve something better. And I'm indicted by the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, and that I have been guilty of thinking of myself more highly than I ought to think. I believe many of you in this congregation know exactly what I'm talking about. This morning our time together, we're going to take a look at a people that were greatly dissatisfied. They had an undue concern about themselves. They were spiritually anorexic. They refused to believe the truth of what they saw and experienced. We're going to cite in on a few individuals. This morning, I trust that we're going to be warned and encouraged from the book of Numbers. Now, some of you may be thinking Numbers maybe been a while 
since you have had an opportunity to read through the book of Numbers, and I understand that. It may not be the first book that you go to for comfort. We go to the Psalms or to the letters. But let me encourage you this morning. Let me remind you that many of you, if not most of you in this congregation, are very familiar with the book of Numbers. Let me recall what you already know. The people complaining about manna in the wilderness. Do you remember that? I always wonder about the response that is given by Moses. The people complain about manna. And listen to the response given by Moses, Numbers chapter 11. The Lord will give you meat until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. That's in Numbers. The complaining of Miriam and Aaron because of Moses' wife. Has the Lord indeed only spoken through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And you remember the result. Miriam became leprous. Moses striking the rock. And as a result of striking the rock, he is not able to bring the people into the land. Listen to these words. Because you did not believe me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. A reminder to us that the Lord will not tolerate even the slightest of deviations from his law. The bronze serpent. Do you remember the bronze serpent? Look and live. The Lord Jesus Christ himself makes reference to the bronze serpent in John chapter 3 as he's meeting with Nicodemus. The zeal of Phinehas, who with his spear pierced both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman, for their open defiance. All these accounts I have given to you have come from the book of Numbers. As I said, it's familiar to you. So be encouraged. But I've left out one significant event, and it's found in number 16. We know it as the rebellion of Korah. And it may be familiar, but I'm also hopeful that we as a congregation never grow so familiar with the Word of God that we take it for granted and respond like those in Jesus' hometown. He could do no miracle there because of their unbelief. Even his own family members were so familiar with him that they didn't recognize him. That we'd not become familiar, dear ones. Let me pray to that end this morning for our time together. Our great God and Savior, we come before you in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to worship you, honor you. I pray that even this morning as we listen, that we would listen without distraction. We'd be careful at all times in our approach to you. And yet we are reminded even as we've spoken to each other this morning, there's forgiveness with you that we may be feared and we have great reason to rejoice. Our lives are hidden with you, Lord Jesus Christ. And so we give you the glory and the praise and the honor. May this time be honoring to you. May your name be exalted. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Let me give you the brief, the brief sketch, thumbnail of Korah. Korah, along with 250 leaders of Israel, rebel against Moses and Aaron. Ultimately, their rebellion is against God. And God, in his glorious judgment, 
causes the earth to open up and swallow Korah and his companions. The narrative is easy to follow, but there is a depth here that I want us to try and understand. What I'm going to do at the front is to give you a historical context. I think this will lend itself to the message. I know this will lend itself to the message. So you have an understanding of what has taken place here and what's taken place about Korah, with Korah, and you see the, the magnitude of his action. Korah is a blood relative to Moses. He's his first cousin. The Levites also, of all the 12 tribes, they have a significant role among the tribes of Israel. The Levites themselves have profound and numerous responsibilities. The Levites are essentially responsible for the spiritual well-being of Israel. As you know them to be the priest, they are the intermediaries. The Levites function as a substitution in many ways. But why the Levites? Why of all the 12 tribes were they chosen? Listen as I read to you from Exodus chapter, Exodus chapter 32, the account of the golden calf. I know that you're familiar with this. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from the gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. It's possible that when Moses made this call out, the Levites in their first response is the reason why God chose them. Not implying that the Levites weren't involved in the sin of the golden calf. What I am stating to you is that they were the first ones to rise up. And for that reason, God specifically set them apart to do his work. So the Levites have a very specific role in God's economy. I want you to keep in mind where we're at in the book of Numbers. We're in the wandering wilderness right now. The tabernacle measurements have been given. We have 12 tribes covering about a square mile area of 12 square miles. We have about 3 million people that are in the wilderness. The Levites are essentially inches, perhaps feet, from the court of the tabernacle. Some of the other tribes are miles away. The court of the tabernacle is not that big. It's probably not much bigger than this room itself. The Levites are the guardians around the court of the tabernacle. Nobody passes them. If anybody attempts to pass them, they will be killed immediately. The Levites, along with Korah, have a front row seat to all that goes on. They have been given a very special privilege. God has conferred blessings to the tribe of Levi and to Korah and his family as they are in charge of the most holy things. Nobody else is to touch them but Korah and his family. Very special privileges. I would have us consider this morning as a congregation what God has given us. We have an inheritance. We have a future hope. 
we have eternal souls. We have been lavished with all things pertaining to life and godliness. And I recognize in this congregation that we all come from different backgrounds. But we have been given so much. Some of us are parents. Some of us are children. Some of us are looking for different things in life. But consider the blessings that God has given to us. He's brought us here this morning to worship him corporately. Many of us here are related to each other. We have the same spirit. We are brothers and sisters. And at the end of the day, we take care of each other. And we've got each other's backs. God has been so kind to us. Now to our narrative. Turn with me now to Numbers chapter 16. Follows, I read, this is God's word. I'll be reading Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. Now Korah, the son of Azar, son of Koath, son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the sons of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men. They rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Consider what Korah has just done. Consider what I just told you about the background of Korah and his privileges. If you are taking notes, this is observation number one. This is a foolish reprimand. See, Korah has a distorted self-image. He has an undue concern for himself. Notice what Korah has done. He approaches Moses, but he doesn't approach him alone. He approaches him with three confidants and 250 leaders men of renown, or chiefs, or princes. What this means is that Korah has influence. Korah is a charismatic leader. This doesn't just happen overnight. Imagine Moses and Aaron standing there with a group of men coming before you. Moses has rallied these men, and he's got them on his side. You see, complainers and whiners, they love company gives him a sense of security and confidence. And I'm sure Korah was murmuring among the congregation, and it infected people. People love to get together and talk about their issues and their problems and perhaps easily move over towards gossip, and they, again, influence each other. I think about the ten spies who came back in the land. They had a bad report. They were cowardly spies. They were all talking with each other. We have the honorable actions of Joshua and Caleb, but the ten spies perhaps came back and saying, we all thought the same thing. There's something not right here. We're not going to do this. And they had influence with each other. And so Korah, as he's rallied these men, they come before Moses, and again, Korah reprimands Moses. You know, there's some truth to what Korah is saying. If you look at verse 3, he says, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Korah is saying something that is true. The congregation has been set apart. 
the 12 tribes have been set apart. But it's the motive that Moses is discerning about. You see, Korah thinks that he deserves more. And he's foolish for not recognizing the truth of what he's been given. You know what Korah's seen? He's seen everything else the tribes have seen. He has seen walls of water. He has seen the Red Sea behind him with bodies of soldiers washing up. He has tasted bread from heaven. And as I said, he has very special privileges that no one else is to have. But that is not enough. Korah has a front row seat. Let me see if I can paraphrase this for you very quickly. Korah's got a front row seat. You know what he's asking Moses for? He's saying, Moses, I want a backstage pass. See, Korah has a wrong approach. And he's going to Moses and saying, this is what I want. There may be times where it is appropriate to speak to leaders. Covenant Baptist Church, at some point here, as a member here, you may be challenged by some of the things that take place in the congregation. You may be challenged by some of the things that are done by leadership. Let me give you a prescription. If you feel the need that you have to approach leadership, it needs to be done prayer, prayerfully, thoughtfully, and carefully. If you feel the need to approach a leader here in this congregation, I would say wait maybe one, maybe two years. Most situations that you think are 911 situations usually get themselves worked out. Members of Covenant Baptist Church, if there's times where you need to talk to somebody else, we have the liberty of doing that. I would say you go to that person alone. Don't ever involve anybody else in that conversation. You go to that person alone. Consider the words of Christ. Treat others the way you want to be treated. I think if Korah would have approached Moses humbly, perhaps by himself, we wouldn't have this account and the results may have been different. But God has given us this account for his glory and for our good. Korah separated himself. And again, he, he gathered men with him. This is talked about in Proverbs. Listen to the words of the writers, of the writer of Proverbs from Proverbs 18. Just listen as I read Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. I would give us some thoughts. I know that there's times where it's easier for us to be alone. Just be thoughtful of those times. We take care of one another. The best thing we can do when we feel like moving away from the body is to flee to Christ and to flee to each other. Don't allow your conscience or your actions to have you move away and isolate yourselves. This is a danger. And again, this is why we're together and we take care of each other. And this is what Kor has done. He's isolated himself and he's infected the congregation. Let me give you a second observation. Second observation is a faithful 
response. Look at verse 4. When Moses heard it, he fell on his face. Notice the response of Moses. Moses is not moved by Korah and his company. He is not intimidated by Korah and his company. He doesn't confer with Aaron. He doesn't second guess. He doesn't try and win his cousin. He doesn't consult with flesh and blood. You know what fear does in these matters? It consults with flesh and blood. He doesn't try to establish a committee to investigate the problem. Perhaps at the end of the day, they can agree to disagree. Moses falls on his face and he seeks God before any action. Moses knows who he is and he knows what God has called him to. Moses is a leader. We love the stories of these men. I'm reminded of Mordecai in the book of Esther. You remember that story, Mordecai? It's stated in the book of, in the book of Esther why he would not bow down. Simple statement. Mordecai would not bow down because he was a Jew. No other qualification. I think of Micaiah, the prophet who stood against 400 prophets and stood alone, account of 1 Kings chapter 22, who stood alone and did not compromise or vacillate. Moses doesn't compromise. He doesn't vacillate. Our passive, effeminate culture men would have us believe that we have to have a discussion about everything. I'm so appreciative of what took place here two weeks ago from this pulpit. Our pastor was very clear as he was bringing forth the word in Romans. As he culminated his message, he said, if the word of God tells you to do something and it's good, you do it. And if the word of God tells you to stay away from something, you stay away from it. There's not a lot of discussion that needs to be had there. I'm grateful for the clarity with which the scriptures are brought forth. It's good that we know the word of God. It's good that we say it is written. It's good that we talk to each other about these things. It is written. And this is how we live our lives. All with the honor and glory to Christ who's revealed in his word. Again, so good that we come together. So good that we read the word. So good that we refresh each other's hearts in Christ. Korah, I, Moses can see right through Korah. Look at verses 8 and 9. 8, 9, and 10 of chapter 16 there. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them, and that he has brought you near him, you and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you? And would you seek the priesthood also? Moses sees right through Korah and he says, Is it not enough? Is it not enough all that you've been given? 
and you're seeking this now? Again, quick paraphrase. From front row seat to backstage pass. Moses is discerning and he sees right through Korah and he says to Korah, this isn't about a backstage pass. This is about you. You want to be on stage. The funnel funnels down to you, Korah. This is about you and everybody validating you and recognizing you. The bottom line is that Korah is not satisfied, as I said. And his dissatisfaction has infected those around him. I think of stains, right? If someone's wearing a white shirt and they have a tiny little stain on that white shirt, what do you notice about the white shirt? You don't notice the white shirt. You notice the stain. Sin is never isolated. We take care of each other here. Sin is never isolated. We all have an effect one on another. Listen to the perversity. Follows our read, verse 13. Is it a small thing to you? Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you must make yourself a prince over us? Did you catch that statement? You brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey. This is one of those bewildering type of statements. Land of milk and honey. You mean Egypt? Where you were slaves making bricks and your firstborn male child was killed? A land of milk and honey? Slavery for 400 years? Is it not enough that you brought us out of a land in milk and honey? And yet, I understand that at times we forget. And we would be led back to the slavery of our sin. And so, this is what has happened. This statement from the companions of Korah is a small thing that you've brought us up out of the land of Egypt. This statement means this. It means that they're spitting in God's face. Third observation. Go with me to verses 31 through 35. Third observation is the fatal result. As soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their household and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods so they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. I can't adequately describe this horrific scene. We know of the exception of men like Eli and Enoch who are immediately translated into the presence of the Lord. We can say that. We can say that with a smile on our face. That's enjoyable. And we're grateful. Korah and his company went down to Sheol alive. 
they went down into death alive. This is not the normal paradigm for death. This isn't the this isn't corn that's coming falling through the cracks in the earth because there's some earthquake. This is God's righteous judgment against against them, and they go down to Sheol alive. This is the only account we have of this in the scripture. And then fire consumes the 250 men of renown, and the next day 14,700 people die. What is the cause of death? Who is the cause of death? God. Why? Because they're discontent. This is the theme of the book of Numbers. Mark Dever wraps it up well. He says, Numbers is really the culmination of human discontent. So why this message? Do I think that someone here at Covenant Baptist Church is fomenting a rebellion? No. That's not even on the radar for me. But I, I do think that at times the church can struggle with a form of spiritual anorexia. I think at times those in the church, perhaps even some of us in this congregation, can be dissatisfied and we can struggle. And sometimes that dissatisfaction can lead to being discontent. And there are times where, I say this with care, there are times where we are so unlike Christ. I understand because the remnants of our fallen nature can be easy to be dissatisfied. We find that our, our joy is robbed and we battle to be content. But I, I want to come alongside us even this morning and I want to warn us and yet I also want to encourage us. By way of admonition warning, Korah's dissatisfaction rebellion was, was ultimately against God. As I read earlier, therefore it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. When we complain, when we murmur, when we covet, you know what we're really doing? We're calling God into question. We're in this together, you guys. I know part of that life is not all too often. And again, I'm grateful for what we receive as we spend time in the morning with our liturgy to receive the assurance of pardon. God is good. We will fail. But we spend time like this to remember the goodness of the Lord and how he's lavished us with his blessings. We have a relationship with the God of the universe. We have access to the Holy of Holies because of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a tremendous privilege. I don't know numbers, but there's millions, thousands around us who are moving towards hell. And God has grabbed us. Why? Because of his kind mercy. So we have such, so much to be thankful for. So much to be grateful for. And so I, I want us to be thoughtful of these things when we're tempted to murmur, when we're tempted to complain. I know that there's statements that we can make, and sometimes these statements appear to be benign. We, um, we may say something such as, I wish, or if 
only the circumstances would be this way. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I, I, I want to be comfortable, and I enjoy good circumstances. But when circumstances don't go well, and when they don't go the way I would want them to, what's important is our response and our trusting in God's kind providence. The Lord will accomplish what concerns us. And we need to remind each other of that, that God is good. He's a good king. He's majestic in all his ways, and he's been good to us. And there are times our murmuring and complaining, again, can be uh, as a result of our discontent. It's not fitting that our great king would see his subjects discontent. Parents, you understand this. It's hard for us as parents when we see children that are discontent. It's hard. And we don't want that for them because we know the blessings they've been given. And so, again, as we move to high thoughts of who God is, we need to remember that we're his children, and he would not have us be discontent. But this morning's message isn't a strategy to stop complaining. I'm not just going to say, well, just stop, stop whining. Um, that's not what this is about. But I would appeal to our minds this morning that we grow together in our understanding of God's righteous wrath and his judgment against those who would complain against him. And the reality is, is that this sometimes is but again, as was stated this morning, there is forgiveness with him that he may be feared. But it's good for us to be in the scriptures. I'm reminded of the, the scriptures from Lamentations as written by the words of Jeremiah in Lamentations chapter 3. How can any man in, our, in view of the sin complain before the Lord? How can any of us complain? How can any of us complain about anything? And I mean that, about anything. You ever complain about the weather? You ever complain about the traffic? You ever, complain, you ever complain about the weather while you're sitting in traffic? We, we know that. We think it's benign. And, and, and again, I'm not saying the earth's going to swallow us up, but, but there's a reality of like we're, we can be used to that, and it's, it's not appropriate. I wouldn't, we'd want to have high thoughts. What if our minds were more absorbed with the glory of Christ and with even as was prayed this morning, that we would esteem others more highly than ourselves and we would be strategizing of ways to come alongside each other in the body because after all, my life is not my own. I belong to you. Instead of thinking about the very fact that we're late for an appointment and tempted to murmur, this is a reality in which we live. This is why we want our minds to be continually transformed by the glory of Christ and to behold his beauty. Let me encourage us this morning you know, as I stated at the start of our time, we have it really well. We have it really well. It's good for us to consider the riches that have been lavished on us through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to consider where we've been in this last season. When I say this last season, I mean this last season in the book of Romans here at Covenant Baptist Church, the continual reminder that we go to Christ and understand the finished and completed work of Christ through justification and that his righteousness now has been imputed to us and now we are pronounced not guilty and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. What a marvelous thing to behold. What happens is sometimes we invert the order and we look to ourselves, but we need to look to God and his love for Christ. And then we place ourselves underneath and inside Christ, if I can put words to this. And God is beholding Christ and the finished work of his son. And he says it is well. And we're hidden in Christ. And think of the statement that Paul is writing about as he's 
as he's writing in a very gentle way to Jew and Gentile, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can never say this too much to ourselves. We can never say this too much to each other. Hey, by the way, you have peace with God. There's now no more condemnation. You have peace with God, even as was stated this morning. There's a great exchange that's taking place. And now we have peace with God. And all of us come from different backgrounds. Recall where you came from. Some of you have been blessed, have been raised and preserved from your youth, and you've been raised in Christian homes. But many of us have not. We were in the throes of darkness. We were children of the gutter underneath God's wrath. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, and God has gotten hold of us. Dear ones, we have it really well. It is good that we are aggressively thankful. It is good that we take care of each other. Again, not a message about stopping complaining, but, but this is what Paul does in Romans, right? He takes this congregation, these group of people, he takes them back to Christ. This is what Paul does, even as we've stated this morning. He, if you consider Paul's letter to the Philippians, he's consumed with Christ. He's consumed with the incarnation of Christ. And as a result of the incarnation, he says, therefore, keep these things in mind. Do not do anything out of selfish ambition or vainglory. And Lord, the Lord knows our hearts at times that we can be so caught up with ourselves. I know that we will fail. I know that. We are going to let each other down. And those times can be hard. I want to state this. May our failures lead us to Christ. May our failures drive us to Christ. Psalm 62.8, trust in the Lord at all times. Pour out your heart before him, for God is a refuge for us. There are times when we are hurting. There are times when we need great comfort. And this is why we have the scriptures. The scriptures use words like peace and comfort and mercy. Because we are a hurting people. We can grow faint-hearted. And this is why we so desperately need one another. Covenant Baptist Church is a good place to be. The gospel goes forth. Again, it's gone forth this morning. Don't lose sight of that. As we are singing hymns, as we are praying, as we are confessing, the gospel is going forth to one another. A desire that we be a people that walk shoulder to shoulder with each other. A desire that we are those who prop each other up with arms around each other. A desire that not only I, but I say I, but, and I, this is true of all of you, that we would continually refresh each other's hearts in Christ. Covenant Baptist Church, do you love, do you love Christ? I know that you do. It is well, and it is enough. Let me pray for us.